Today on Growth Culture, how does the man charged with growing the third largest agency holding company in the world continue to grow himself? I'm your host, Adam Connor, and that's the question of the day from my guest, Jay Askenazi. He's the chief growth officer of Publicist Group. And today we learn about his views on changing consumer behavior, the ways he stays a student of his craft, and how he turns inward to build the best team around him possible. From the newspaper to the national, Jay's now on the biggest stage of all. And we hope you enjoy his perspectives on how to spur world-class growth. This is Jay Askenazi. Hey, Jay, thanks for talking to me. How are you? I'm great, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, coming off a nice holiday weekend with the family. That's nice. I am glad to chat with you first because I, you, you and I are at different places, obviously, but we started in the same kind of craft, which was business for a school newspaper. And I love <laughs> that because everybody that I knew that I was in that grind with of basically selling eighth page ads to pizza shops uh, has learned how to do it either with million dollar software or other things. So uh, it's a good cloth to be cut from. Glad to be chatting with somebody like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, proud alumni of the Diamondback newspaper, University of Maryland College Park. I believe at the time, circulation of 14,000 a day. We were very proud of that. And that's something I'm guessing a stat that was just like in, in your head all the time. That's why you can recite it now. <laughs> Absolutely. But today... I mean, hey, you're looking at a, at a at a business and your career has been parts of businesses with reach of much, much more than, than 14,000. I want to first get a, a basis of knowledge here to learn about your journey to today, your journey to this point at Publicis uh, specifically, but it involves, as I understand it, prioritizing growth sales and product altogether, which seems like a ton, but can you help illuminate the path for me here? Yeah, of course. Um so I would say that, um, you know, what we spend most of our time thinking about and working on across not just my team at the group, but the leadership team at Epsilon and Publicist Media and the other entities within Publicist Group is how are we going to um, continue to evolve our business from a agency, primarily agency services into more of a product and technology driven organization. And that's a long-term evolution, <clears throat> excuse me, and one that is easy to say and very hard to do. Um, fortunately, we have a CEO who is fully committed to that. Um, and the acquisition of Epsilon a couple of years ago was really the, the rubber stamp that, um, you know, made us go from just talking about it to actually putting our money where our mouth is and and uh attempting to not just bring our business but our clients into this digital first world and um thinking about how do we grow adoption of epsilon not just epsilon sapient and the other assets product and technology across publicist group clients is what we wake up thinking about every single day and balancing uh first and foremost client performance and outcomes and satisfaction uh, with group uh, growth and uh, and value for our shareholder base. So uh, that's really the, the, the sort of North Star for, for myself and my team. And um, we're not assigned to any one client, but rather thinking about what's best for the whole 
And fortunately for us, we have a roster of the, the biggest and best marketers in the world to do that with as a trusted partner to them. And uh, we're excited to get going. So yeah, it's, it's a lot, um, but it's something that, you know, every day I wake up excited and enthusiastic about what we're working on and how we're going to transform not just the business, but the industry that we're in. And being responsible for such a wide swath of disciplines and having all those great marketers at your disposal means that very broadly, you got to build great teams, but also you got to make sure they collaborate. That being the focus of this show, I'll get to that in just a little bit. But just as you pursue your North Star, so too do the many clients that you serve aim to look at theirs. And your job is to know where they want to go. Where is that right now? <laughs> Good question. Um, I think it certainly depends on the industry and the relative sophistication and maturity of marketers, data and technology stacks, whether it's themselves or their partnership or um, uh, you know, third parties that they're associated with. Uh, generally speaking, I think, you know, some of the biggest things that all brands are, are thinking about and, and helping move into the future or thinking about as they move into the future is how are they not just compliant, but super consumer focused. Um, certainly all the regulation, all the changes in our industry, way beyond our industry, right? I mean, think about Apple's latest commercial where they are promoting their do not track, um, you know, where the guy clicks on the do not track button and all the people disappear around him that were tracking him. That's a, that's a, that's a major, um, you know, mass media way to appeal to the, the general consumer about what's happening on these devices and on the internet in terms of tracking and measurement and retargeting and all the rest of it. So every brand is thinking about that and how do they, live in a world that's very different than it was for the last 15 years with um, targeting and measurement and attribution and the way that their media mix and, and marketing objectives were achieved. I'd say that's the biggest thing on everyone's radar. Um, equally, or maybe more so, obviously, would be uh, investing and in having a strategy around uh, diverse and inclusive media and media owned by um diverse and inclusive companies and individuals. And that is certainly at the forefront of every single client conversation and new business pitch that we're a part of right now. Um, so, so those are the two biggest areas of uh, time and strategy and um, evolution that we're going through with our marketers. And, you know, more generally, I'd say it's the digitization of business, right? And we all know that, whether it's e-commerce or what's happened with the platforms and wall gardens. And that's been going on for quite some time, but it accelerated with COVID. And I think in certain cases, you'll see a little bit of retraction, but in other cases, you won't because of the efficiencies that people have realized. So um, <clears throat> those three things are, um, you know, can all be part of the same overarching strategy. But there are the things that we spend the most time uh, thinking about, strategizing against and talking to our clients. <clears throat> and you got to be in there all day long. I know that you prioritize being a student of the craft as a basis for growing anything, whether it be a team or a business. And over the last year or year and a half, a lot of things have been changed, not only in the way that we are, let's say, tracked to you know give credence to that Apple commercial, but also in the way that we are behaving and consuming things that would be produced 
perhaps to be tracked on. I, let, let's talk about that for a second because I know that this is something you're passionate about. Um, consumer behavior is changing a lot, especially around video, whether it be somebody who is going to stream or all the way down to uh, a kid, you know, streaming games on Twitch. I mean, how does that affect you all at the end of the day? Because it's your responsibility to make sure that you have your best foot forward in terms of, of media and where it's consumed and how it's made. So where does this fall into your path? Thank you for asking that. It's definitely one of the things I'm most passionate about is sort of the intersection of consumer behavior with media consumption and what's changed and how it's continuing to change, and not just because we all spend a lot more time on our mobile devices um, or more people are cutting the cord, um, but what the downstream impact is on the media marketing industry of which we're a part. So, um, you know, the only way to really, to your point, stay on top of that beyond living and breathing your day job and talking and networking is, is to be a student of the industry and, and understand what's happening and whether that's from reading industry trades or listening to podcasts or uh, reading even the Times or the Journal, which spend a lot of, of their inches or digital inches uh, on these subjects as well. And, um, you know, every every marketing dollar, you know, I think the famous quote is, I know 50% of my my marketing works. I just don't know which 50% it is. Right now, that's starting to change because of the digital uh, environment and ecosystem where you can target and measure more and where 80 plus percent of a marketer's dollar, you know, maybe five years ago was in linear television. Uh, now that number is shrinking quick. Um, you know, it's still the lion's share for a lot of the, the largest brands out there, but that number is you know, getting closer to 50% or, or under in certain cases, certainly brands that have been birthed in more of a digital ecosystem versus a legacy CPG or retail company, that evolution has been even quicker. And their way that they measure the effectiveness of their marketing is very different, right? Um, there's a lot of, you know, you'll hear uh, media mix modeling or econometric modeling, all of these sort of legacy brand marketing, KPI uh, trackers and, and measurement capabilities, they're not as needed when you're in a world where you can click to order or buy or measure or see when I drop a dollar into a platform, what the ROI is back almost instantaneously. So the, the consumption of mass media changing so quickly means marketers need to evolve where their messages are seen, who they're being seen by. So theoretically, you shouldn't have to quote, waste 50% of your, your dollars, um, and then measure and measure on real sales as opposed to a brand metric or some type of calculation off of what they think the halo effect of uh, advertising messages. And while there's certainly sort of still big mass media that matters and think about those big tent poles and sponsorships and NFL sponsorships and the Oscars, those can't miss moments that, you know, maybe will never be measured down to the penny. Um, the vast majority of media weight, or as we joke, media by the pound, um, can be tracked in a very different way than it ever was before. And the consumption is what's driving that and the technology keeping pace. So um, there's, there's a lot there and hopefully that didn't go down a rabbit hole too quickly, but, uh, you can, you can 
school yourself up on it by by reading and, and absorbing and having good conversations and asking questions of your clients and your partners and your vendors. And that's what we do every day. And we can only be as smart and effective as uh, curious we are. And that's something that we pride ourselves in, at least on my team and in our industry, excuse me, in our organization to make sure that we're ready when clients ask us the hard questions and we're helping um, push them into this next frontier. Well, as the curiosity rises, so too does that rabbit hole deepen, but that's why you're great at what you do. And it's also increasingly important for leaders to do that so that they can pass on these, these lessons, these teachings, these findings, these tips and tricks and skills to ensure that those that come after them are ideally better than they are at this so that they can continue the growth path. To that point, I know you said you like to read a lot, you like to listen to a lot uh, of, of podcasts, which is great. What are some of your favorite resources to get these tricks of the trade? And I know that you like this particular book, Trillion Dollar Coach. Is there like a lesson within there that has helped you in the way that you pass on some of this knowledge to people? Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, I, I think about this a lot. And when we, when we onboard new talent, and I usually have a one-on-one -on -one with, with most everyone in our organization, the, one of the things I say to them is to make sure they're a student of the industry. And that's one of the requirements of being, you know, on my teams at least, and only because it invests not just in themselves, but also in the product that we deliver for our clients and partners. And we want to be best in class in everything we do. And the way to do that is to have a broad understanding and basis of what's happening around you, whether that's competitive or complementary. So some of the things I like, you know, reading and listening to each and every day, whether it's really specific to our industry, like Ad Age or Ad Week, um, Ad Exchanger for the more of the technology crowd. Uh, more broad than that, things like the Times and the Journal, whether it's just the marketing or business and technology sec sections or or the broader uh, news, obviously, since it's all really applicable to our business because our brands and, and the influence are everywhere, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of like the consumption patterns. Um, I also am a big fan of the information, uh, paid subscriber. Um, Scott Galloway's podcast, both Prof G as well as uh, the one he does with Kara Swisher is great. Um, and yeah, I think those are probably the one, Business Insider, you know, depending on the, um, the subject of the day is another one. And, and I just try and browse as much as possible, click into the ones that are more interesting, save them for later, pass them on to my team. And, um, you know, that, that's where I think you get a really good understanding and knowledge base of what's going on. I mean, even more fun than that, I, I still listen to Bill Simmons and, um, you know, I'll pick and choose the ones I want to listen to, but I think, understanding what's happening in pop culture and, and shows or movies or technologies that are uh, that are really prevalent are, are so important for us to have a, an eye on and an ear to with respect to um, where you know marketers should be should be going he recently had been um, who runs stratechery on and that was a full conversation about uh, platforms and what's happened and uh, video distribution. So super relevant to our industry, even though you wouldn't think Bill Simmons is necessarily someone that you should be listening to if you're in the marketing business. Right. So, but hey, um, if you can get away with it, great. Yeah, exactly. So th those are some of my my favorite ones. In terms of the book, 
Um, one thing that comes to mind, maybe not my, my favorite lesson, but one that I just have been applying more recently is starting every meeting uh, with more of a personal discussion instead of just getting into the business. I think that that is more relevant now than ever before with virtual settings and distributed workforces and making sure everyone knows that, you know, we're people first, we're, we're here for each other. Um, being a part of a team, in my opinion, is one of the most important things in terms of your happiness and your satisfaction at work and your willingness to work harder. And that's something that I want to make sure our team takes seriously. So having that balance of, of getting right into it, but also understanding what, what's happening with everyone as an individual. And that's something um, that Bill Campbell um, hits at some point, probably in the middle of the book. Um, and it's a great one. It's a fast read. I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone out there in leadership that hasn't read it yet. And as part of curating these teams, that personal connection is obviously top of mind. But something that you said there makes me curious, especially from the leader's perspective, that idea of being there for each other, one for the other and vice versa. Of course, when you have a situation where a, a leader is managing large groups of people, it's typical to comprehend that those folks are working upwards. They are working for their leader. But it's equally as important, as I know you prioritize, to make sure that people understand or at least perceive that you are working for them and maybe not even necessarily the other way around. How do you truly get people to feel like that? Because that's a real art, in my opinion. Yeah, I appreciate that, Adam. Um, I think it's it's really important. It's not, you know, I didn't read that in a book somewhere, but it's something that happened to me over time. And um, thinking about the bosses that I enjoy working for and the ones where when my cell phone rings and I see their name, I want to pick up because I'm eager to talk to them and, and happy to answer a question or get them something they need versus that feeling when you see your phone ring and you get the pit in your stomach because you're like, oh, now what? Um, I've had both. And, um, the, you know, when you when you see the name and you want to work for them, it's usually because you know that they have your best interest in mind and um, success of yourself and the team first and foremost and, and the you know clients that you're working for. So one of the things that I do is I just try and make myself available, um, you know, mostly whenever my team needs me. Uh, I, I don't go a day with an unanswered text or an email. I, I could say that confidently, you know, specifically with anyone on my team, but more broadly than that, I try and do it as well. And I think communication and, and um, being supportive and helping people work through problems is is one of the most important things you could do as a leader. And um, you know, I like to think we foster a great environment. Again, it's really hard right now when you're not able to grab a coffee or grab a beer or a, or lunch with someone to get to know them a little bit better because everyone needs that outlet or that opportunity to vent or brainstorm, and it's really hard to do virtually. So we're, we're eager to get some balance back to bring that in. But because we haven't had that, uh, you know, outlet, having the calls, the texts, the, you know, whether it's late or early, um, I, hopefully fills that void. And I think it's it's critically important to, to have trust in and amongst the team, whether it's up and down or horizontally. And it's something I think about every single day and, and want to make sure that they know I'm not just asking them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And there's a reason I'm asking for them to do it or for us to collaborate on it. And, and that is uh, maybe the most important thing that I think about with respect to leading a team in an organization. 
I can understand that vent for sure. Any well-oiled machine has its exhaust system, and you need that even in a business outside of the car. I'm curious, though, and these will be my last two for the day here, because just as much as you want to instill that collaborative environment where everybody can voice their feedback where necessary, and hey, yeah, vent if they need to, but you also need to be aware of the other side of that spectrum. So I'd be curious from you as a leader, what red flags do you perceive or have you noticed before that might tend to indicate that either a team or an environment is not as collaborative as it should be? Yeah, that's that's so important. I'm glad you asked about it. Um, you usually get some some whiff of something, you know, whether it's a passing comment or if you're physically in a room with with folks and you see body language. Um, if you hear, you know, team members voicing concerns and instead of building constructively, others maybe um, not, again, healthy debate for the purpose of moving forward, we should be doing that all day long versus contradiction and, and um, infighting. And the second that you sniff any of that out, you really need to try and squash it. And it's, I've been the 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 person doing the infighting and i've i've witnessed it on my teams and i think we've done a really good job uh, especially for me the last maybe five seven eight years when i've been leading bigger teams than previous um in, in getting rid of that stuff pretty quickly and trying to diffuse it and it, it doesn't mean someone's right or wrong for for their points it's just let's hear both sides of the story let's figure out how we want to move forward nothing's perfect you need to add perspective about you know, what's happening in other companies or other parts of the industry that maybe you think, you know, your your team or your organization isn't innovating fast enough or this competitor is doing X, Y, and Z and we're not. And, you know, once you see some of these things enough times, you know that most of the time, most of that noise isn't necessarily true. And you need to add perspective and be empathetic as a leader, but quickly get to a solution to move forward. And sometimes maybe it's, you know, not just a, a fair answer. Sometimes you have to make a hard decision and that's what you get paid for as a leader uh, to help the team move forward. And if you make a mistake, you learn from that lesson and you correct it fast. But you, you have to really get to it quick and you have to make sure people understand that you're doing what's in the best interest of the business first and not any one individual. And as long as you can keep that eye on the ball, then I think people will respect your decision, even if it isn't the one that they necessarily agree with. I want to close here by asking for some advice for those batters out there trying to keep their, their eye on the ball here. Our audience is largely leaders and great collaborators in and of themselves. And you've clearly demonstrated here your years of both nipping and nurturing when it comes to finding those things that aren't collaborative and getting rid of them, as well as making sure that you are curating environments which are as synergistic and collaborative as possible. I'd be curious to know as we close here, what would be some advice for somebody who's either aiming to emulate your path or frankly, somebody who is feeling they're not on the right track and needs to be on yours? Um, so I think being curious and, and being a sponge, as, as we talked about earlier, and, and learning as much as possible about whatever it is that you're interested in doing or the craft that you're pursuing is, is the most important thing. Creating a really strong network of people that you can rely on for those hard decisions, whether it's changing a job or um, going for something new or um, 
you know, approaching your boss with a hard conversation and having trusted people that you can bounce ideas off is really important and, and helps, you know, we all get through this together. No one has it figured out. And I think having a good, you know, group around you that you trust, whether that's within your company or not, is, is really important and spending time with the people after you leave jobs with, with those who are really close and meaningful to you is important. And, you know, there's a handful of names that come to the top of my head immediately when I make that comment, because I, I do maintain that myself. Um, the other big piece, which is more um, maybe practical in today's world than, than previous, I came up with more of a, a sales background and, um, you know, relying on relationships and providing solutions and proving value and, and repeat. Today's world, you really need to be a practitioner and understand technology and product and uh, how that works and the, the, the tie between product management and strategy and sales and go-to-market has never been closer, in, in my opinion. And it's something that if you want to be a well-rounded leader or general manager of a business, you absolutely need to have some level of understanding of what it means to be within a product or an engineering organization, making trade-offs, priorities, um, building business plans, so on and so forth. And, and that makes yourself you know, more valuable going forward and, and some, someone that a company is going to want to uh, come after or you're going to be or, or your own company will want to keep. So I would mix a little bit of the interpersonal networking and coaching and, and uh, sort of security blanket, if you will, with studying and, and understanding the business you're in, a, as well as making sure that you are learning outside of your defined lane. In this case, you know, I use sales and product as that example, but it's something where if you don't understand the other person's shoes that they're in, 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 in terms of like the, the push and pull that you go through every single day, you're never really going to get to that next level. And it's something I spend a lot of time with and, um, you know, there's always more to learn there, but I think more and more going forward as things become more digital and software centric, it's going to be even more important uh, for product and go to market to live harmoniously. So uh, those would be a few things that that I would recommend. Well, I feel like I've learned a little bit just from this conversation, but for, for helping us hear the harmony and for building a few of the bridges between these disciplines right here on the show, Jay, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Of course, Adam, really appreciate it and uh, hope to speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in today. To hear more conversations just like this one, head over to wherever you get your podcast and search Growth Culture. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review to let us know how you like this one. To learn more about Dedicated.ai and our other events, visit us at our website by the same name or send us an email at jl at Dedicated.ai. We'd love to hear from you about what you'd love to hear from us. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Connor, signing off.